saving you up to €400 Euro a year on your heating bills. And you won't have to redecorate. For a free quote, call 01901635 or visit energlaze.ie. The sale is over. The price is back up. I knew we should have gone into town yesterday. I blame you. We're no longer best friends. I'm moving to Australia. Okay. If you'd like to avoid sudden fluctuations, then Ireland's only fixed-rate energy plan from Borgosh Energy is for you. Switch and lock in your gas or electricity rates for up to two years. Borgosh Energy's fixed-rate plans are available to new and existing customers. Switch today on 1850 435 435. Direct debit and early exit fee apply. Visit BorgoshEnergy.ie for full terms and conditions. How important is safety when you're behind the wheel? Ensure that you can stop safely with brake pads from Audi Genuine Service. We only use Audi Genuine parts, which come with a two-year warranty, so you can trust that when you brake, you're safe. And at a fixed price of just €169, the cost stops there too. Ask about Audi Genuine Service options at your local authorised Audi dealer or visit Audi.ie. Terms and conditions apply. Audi. Vorsprung durch Technik. At O'Brien's this Christmas, we've over 100 exciting wines on promotion, exclusively chosen from some of the world's best winemakers. Let us guide you from Sancerre to Marlborough, from Bordeaux to the Barossa, and many more. At O'Brien's, you'll love Brancard Estate Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc, now only €9, or Campo Vejo Rioja Reserva, now only €10, for a limited time while stocks last. For the wines you'll love this Christmas, pop into your local O'Brien's or shop online at wine.ie. Please enjoy sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. If you want a box, say you want a box and we'll box. If you want to play football, say you want to play football and we'll play football. Griffin Cork and what's happening in Dublin? Nothing. Don't give it. They don't give a shit about it down here. But if he steps in the ring with Bernard Hopkins, I will guarantee that I will give him a free plastic surgery facelift. Yeah, you're very welcome along to Friday Night's Off the Ball. We're going to be talking rugby with Brian O'Driscoll in just a couple of minutes' time. If you have questions, 53106 is the text number. Or, of course, you can tweet us at Off the Ball. All of that coming up after the news. It's 7 o'clock. Good evening. I'm Rebecca Horan. The Minister for Finance has insisted that someone on a salary of €70,000 should not be seen as wealthy. Michael Noonan says someone on that wage would pay over a third of their salary in tax. He says people on that salary are the squeezed middle, which he'll aim to help in future budgets. There was a piece on social media that said, oh, the Minister is wrong, people on 70000 I said they're not very wealthy. But do you know the people on 70000 in personal taxes, they pay just over 25000 so people on 70,000, PAY people on 70,000 are a little bit under 45 on take home. <coughs> They're not very wealthy, you know. So this is the squeeze middle that where I'm focusing. Landlords are threatening to impose a water charge deposit on tenants if the government goes ahead with plans that would make the owner of a property liable for unpaid water bills. Minister Alan Kelly has proposed a system whereby landlords will be allowed to retain outstanding charges from a tenant's deposit. But the Irish Property Owners Association says that deposits can only be legally withheld for unpaid rent or damage and a separate deposit could be required for water. IPOA spokesperson Margaret McCormick says landlords won't allow themselves to be used as debt collection against Irish water. Our members are unhappy with this situation totally. They're not happy that that Irish water, the minister in fact is actually trying to make them responsible for collection on their behalf. So it's, it's not a situation that is tenable for our members. 
And state lawyers have said Jules Thomas's allegedly doctored Garda statements wouldn't have been worth tuppence to detectives investigating the murder of Sophie Tuscan de Plantier. Ian Bailey's long-term partner has been given evidence in his action for damages against the state and Garda commissioner over claims he was wrongfully arrested over the French film producer's death in West Cork in December 1996. Our courts correspondent Francesca Cummins reports. It's been another long day for Jules Thomas on the stand as she's been cross-examined about her statements to Garda in connection with the Sophie Toscan de Plantier murder. She claims the Garda memorandums of those interviews are full of omissions, additions, alterations and inventions. Her first statement from February 1997 says she told Gardy her partner Ian acted so cool she never suspected him and that if he was at Kielfada Bridge, which was near the murder scene, that would be shattering. She denies ever saying it. Paul O'Higgins, cross-examining, put it to her that there would be no point in Gardy making this up as it's not worth tuppence if you're trying to fit someone up. Her reply was that maybe it was to make it sound like she was tricked by her partner Ian Bailey. The case resumes on Tuesday. And that's the latest news update. We'll have more again at 8. At Super Value, we believe in value with great offers, like our quality meat and fish sale. Fresh Irish pork loin roast and fresh cod fillets, both half price. And save 33% on sirloin steak, fresh from the butcher counter. And buy any six bottles of wine in-store and save €10. Super Value, perfect for the perfect Irish Christmas. Enjoy alcohol responsibly. News Talk Weather, thanks to Ryanair Business Plus, with premium seating. Perfect for extra legroom and a speedy exit. Ryanair. Business made simple. Tonight will remain mostly dry with clear spells, misty in many areas with a few spots of drizzle, lows of between 2 and 7 degrees Celsius. And now you're up to date on News Talk. Off the ball with thanks to Ford. This season, we're not playing by the rules. We're exceeding expectations. Now as standard, Ford, go further. All right, you're very welcome along to the show this evening. Uh, we hadn't even come on air and we've already had our first Roy Keane text of the evening, which I'll get to in a moment. If you uh, if you want to predict what that text is or uh, get involved in that debate, then 53106 is our text number or you can tweet us as well at Off The Ball. For your more considered rantings or for your confidential letters complaining about your employers, you can also email us off the ball at newstalk.ie. Uh, right, Colin, good evening. Good evening, Joe. Kian, good evening. Good evening, Joe. Brian O'Driscoll, good evening. Good evening. Congratulations. Thank you. Are you getting any sleep? Minimal. <laughs> Minimal amounts, but that's um, par for the course. Um, you, you, um, it's less of a shock to the system. Uh, last night was a bad one, though. So, so if you start dribbling in a couple of minutes' time... Uh, I'm hoping to get we'll through a full <laughs> hour. <laughs> I hope I can manage the hour. Okay. Uh, right, we've got to talk about loads of stuff, obviously. We're going to talk about um, Ireland now, the unstoppable juggernaut that we are and the hype train. Um, the, the the fact that we've just been so brilliant, right, and uh, everybody's saying we are brilliant, and now the criticism is that we're not beautiful enough in our attack. Uh, that would suggest to me that people are getting a little bit carried away. Yeah, we're totally getting carried away, but it's great, isn't it? Um, and... I spent a bit of time with a few of the boys and uh, spent, I was in the company of Mick Carney today, the Irish manager, and I know that Joe won't allow any of them to get carried away. Genuinely, he won't, but we're all entitled to do it. And me, as a past player, knowing that he shouldn't get carried away, I am... I totally am. Yeah. And so you're throwing great. fuel on the fire as well? Yeah, there's a bit of that. I'm not, I'm not trying to heap any more pressure on the lands than is already coming, but it's hard not to, looking from the outside and seeing... The progression of this team, seeing how good they were 
and how much more they have. I think that's the really exciting thing. They're, the reason they're not getting ahead of themselves is because Joe will probably show them 15 or 20 clips of, of the November series where they were poor or where they, where they executed badly. Yeah. And that's where we can get so much better and they'll kind of go, yeah, it's almost, it's a brainwashing of sorts. Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll get into some of that a little bit later on and we will talk about some of the other rugby news that's uh, going on too. That first text was, Jaron Column, your hero Roy has walked out on another club. A legend? Question mark? A bottler. It's signed. You you agree? I don't, I don't know what to say. I'm disappointed he's walked out on it, to be honest. I don't know. He's in like four month holiday from Ireland. Like, you know, there's oh, no clash at the moment. If he got, if he came back in March, said the pressure's building with Ireland, I'll walk away then. Uh, Villa aren't going well. Those, I'm, I'm disappointed. Those mid-tier, tenuously uh, qualified for Ireland players aren't going to watch themselves, Colm. <laughs> They're not going to scout themselves. He's got four months to, uh, to go he, and watch he games. Knew, he knew this going into the job, you know. I, I, look, I don't know. I think that uh, there's a lot of time There's more away. to it than meets the eye, I think. I, see, I, I, Why it, does there have to be? Is it, exactly. Is no, it I possible that there I isn't? I don't understand the reason. What's the reasons? Working two jobs is difficult. Why family did he, why did he take on the two jobs he had a family before he took on the two jobs he was out of work for years he needed jo- he wanted a job maybe get one maybe he thought that, you know some coaches like the day to day running um, they get used to it and that's the one thing with, with Joe is that I know he misses the day to day so mm. if you don't have that they kind of get itchy feet and they're, they're you know they've nothing to do and they've got wives get at, ho- at home getting under their feet and being told to get out and get yourself a job well maybe he went out and did it and found that genuinely the workload was too much of trying to juggle the two things and not seeing the appropriate players uh, on a weekly basis was too much yeah maybe and Villar crap <laughs> and they haven't won for yeah that run of not, yeah that's <laughs> good, good time to bail for factor. two points above the relegation zone <laughs> what are we starting with Ian? Uh, with the news on Jack Kyle today, Jer, uh, tributes pouring in, of course, from across the uh, rugby community after he passed away uh, last night in his sleep, surrounded by close family members in his home. He was 88 years of old. Uh, years old. Uh, he won a record 46 caps for Ireland, of course, leading them to Five Nations victories in 1949 and 1951, as well as, of course, as that iconic Grand Slam success in 1948. He also toured with the Lions in 1950, playing all six of the tests against Australia and New Zealand during that tour, becoming uh, the first rugby player to win 50 test caps upon his retirement. A qualified surgeon after his uh, rugby retirement in 1958, he worked in Indonesia and then Zambia, where he spent three decades working in often difficult conditions and with limited resources before returning home uh, to Northern Ireland for his retirement. All right, um, obviously a complete legend of the game. We did do a Legends interview with him back in 2005. Here he is speaking with Gerry O'Sullivan, um, talking about that Lions tour in 1950, which lasted six months. Oh, not at all. I mean, we never dreamt of such things. You started playing rugby at school. You didn't know whether you were any good or not. And... uh, you know, just by degrees, you find that you could get on a dalian under 15 at school and get on a first 15 at school and play schoolboy inter pro. And uh, even when I went up to university at the beginning, I wasn't playing at the first 15. But Derek Monteith, who actually captained Ireland in 1947 and was ca- playing at Queen's at that time without half, broke his leg. And um, so I got on. And by the time Derek's leg was better, I had managed to establish myself in the team. And Derek could play centre, so he moved out there. Yeah, were you always an old half? 
I was always a night half, except uh, during my... Uh, I was only made a night half in my last two years at school. I played full back up to that time at school from the under-15 and for the first 15 for one year. Yeah. Um, you seem to bring um, a big running game into it and, and sort of running across the pitch and, and in and out. And a lot of uh, your opponents, I'm just reading here from some of the things I was reading before uh, preparing for the interview, referred to you as the ghost. Was that always an intention of yours to play that sort of fast-flowing rugby or was it something that just maybe you came up with that you found you were good at, that style of play? Well, I, I think really, as you know, in our day, there were no uh, coaches and no one to tell us how to play. All we had was, you know, a team meeting with the captain and the rest of the players and really our game was a game of spontaneity there was very few uh, planned moves ever discussed I mean we did think of a few maybe long throwouts and the, at the line out and so on but very little was discussed and there was no coach or anyone to tell us this what we should do and we, we tried to adapt ourselves to the type of game uh, that we should play and I can well remember uh, playing against Wales in a triple crown game and Carl Mullen who was our captain a very shrewd one and of course probably the most successful Irish captain of all time yeah. uh, with a grand slam and a triple crown and a championship uh, to his credit. Carl sort of saying, I think we are fitter than these Welshmen and I want you to run us across the field. Uh, so uh, when you get the ball on the left-hand side, put it across to the right-hand side. When you get it on the right-hand side, put it across to the left. And I think um, they it, it worked because I think we managed to tire the Welsh champs out and uh, consequently we didn't win the game by very much, but we did win it. People may remember from those early days, say we were having a game in Dublin, uh, those of us who were coming from the north would take the train uh, down to uh, Dublin in the Friday morning um, have our lunch there, uh, have a run out at, say, College Park or some other ground, come back, have a bit of a team talk and uh, play on the Saturday afternoon, maybe with a bit of a pep talk before we went onto the ground from the captain. Uh, and then we said goodbye to one another on a Sunday morning and said, well, I hope we uh, managed to get picked for the next side. That was uh, 2005. Uh, obviously, that wasn't talking about the Lions tour to New Zealand, which took six months. That was him answering the question about whether or not he ever thought he'd play for Ireland and the Lions. That's, that's 2005 before your Grand Slam in, in 2009. And obviously, there's this brilliant picture, which we've all seen, of um, just uh, like less than 10 minutes after that you won the Grand Slam, you find him in the crowd and just have a, a little moment. Yeah, it was brilliant. It, was, it, it definitely was you know, that moment captured um, from... You know, one of the remaining um, Grand Slam winners from '48, who'd made the trip over to, to Cardiff and made his way down to the pitch to kind of greet a couple of the players and to meet him on their lap of honour was absolutely brilliant. And you know, he, he talked about um, you know being happy to pass on the mantle, and it was a huge weight lifted off their shoulders. Yeah, really? he actually yeah, had a, he got a chance to have a chat there. Oh yeah, yeah, we had a quick word. Yeah, yeah, it was great. I'd I'd met him a, a few times at, at at different dinners over the over the course of maybe ten years, and so I, I had a bit of a rapport with him. So it was lovely to share that moment, um, and and for him to be um, so humble about you know his achievements. I think that's the funny thing when when you're listening to him. It's as if you know when people compliment him it's the first compliment he's ever been given and and um and he was he was always really really gracious man and and really gentlemanly and 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 kind of soft and um you know by the sounds of things a pretty wicked rugby player too yeah yeah um anybody who's called the ghost obviously it's uh, it's not it's not bequeathed to uh, a lot of people too handily um and look I, I think um when you've lived an amazing life like that the thing to do is to celebrate that too so uh, obviously 
we'd like to send our condolences to his family, but also to try and uh, get everybody to remember it a little bit. Just a uh, lapse of honour generally. Do, it's kind of unusual to be able to pick somebody out of the crowd, or is that the whole point of them, really? You go around looking for people you know. No, I, I didn't think. I wonder, is Jack Kyle here? <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was trying to shake his hand. Uh, but, you know, people kind of motion you to, you know, to your to your family yeah. or to someone that's won a Grand Slam 61 years before it's <laughs> worth worth your while going across and having a word to them um, but you do you try and you do try and, and walk around and pick people out that you recognise and some are worth a wave and some are worth a hug yeah. and some are worth turning Chats. the other direction but <laughs> uh, so yeah it's, it, they're fun yeah. that's in GA now you know the pitch invasions are a thing of the past and the players all say they prefer to be able to walk around knowing on the field you know and enjoy it with your teammates yeah it is it's, it's kind of that that, that well we, we never we never had never any had of that pitch, never yeah. had pitch invasion and you look back at I, you know, kind of memories of England's Grand Slams through the the, the 90s and and Will Carling up on people's shows and I always wondered mm, love a bit of that nice grass is always greener the other it's side it's not great isn't being it? trapped on the far side of the field <laughs> or when, when everyone else is being lifted high and you're <laughs> left in the ground <laughs> it has happened <laughs> it happened in Lansdowne Road in the middle of games as well quite uh, quite a bit uh, Gordon Hamilton I think when, when he scores that try against Australia there's a mad pitch invasion and then yeah mini pitch invasion unfortunately Michael Lyon sticks one into the corner and they score a try mm-hmm. and, and ruin the celebration moments later uh, there will be a, a minute silence before the uh, game today at Tolman Park between uh, Munster and, and uh, Ulster. That will be in memory of Jack Kyle. Uh, it's a huge game for both sides, of course, as well. Both coaches able to recall some of their Irish internationals for the fixture. Ulster start the night tied uh, on points with the leaders, the Ospreys, who don't play until tomorrow against Leinster. And Munster just two points back in third. So whoever wins tonight will go top of the table. The game kicks off at 7.35. These games where you're getting back into uh, club action after an international national season like that how, how easy or otherwise to get tuned in it's actually largely about just getting the calls right because you've had a month of a different set of calls so to try and um, ingratiate yourself throughout the week into yeah. understanding and remembering and have a second nature as to what uh, you know the same sort of moves but called differently so trying to to get that and that's what this game's really about and obviously guys that would have been um, benching a lot throughout November getting some game time too the likes of of Ian Madigan's and Sean Cronin's How many calls do the backs have? A lot Yeah Yeah would have a lot a lot of, a lot of variations um, and the, and there would have been very huge similarities between Leinster calls and Ireland calls until Matt O'Connor came in and he changed uh, changed them across you know across the whole fold of of all of all forwards lineout calls and backs calls and and pattern calls too. So uh, you know it took a lot of learning. What did they call it? Just random. You know, you have code names. <laughs> Omaha oh, cars. Um, cars is a move. Yeah, no, there's certain no, not cars. <laughs> different brands of cars. Yeah. So all oh, right. Um, Don't be giving too much away here. Yeah. Well, okay. well I saw there was pictures floating. I'm not around. saying Leinster or Ireland. There could be one <laughs> or the other. Yes. Uh, there's pictures floating around of, of Madigan with the uh, the calls written on his mm. armbands and stuff in the last couple of weeks. So, like almost like NFL style. Yeah, he's he's big into that. He will he'll do that before all training sessions and have and have the two the mm. two uh, wrists taped up 
have all the calls written out. Um, I suppose it just it, it helps him from jogging memory because of certain parts of the pitch you'll have practiced certain plays so he'll have it written out in a way where the 40 meter line you know a five man this is what we're, this is our go to yeah. and uh, so maybe he just likes to jog his memory he's got he's, he's a lot of information to retain then at the, on the flip side you have someone the encyclopedia Johnny Sexton that that you know that wouldn't work for because it's all in there yeah. and is so. it Sexton that calls the move for the backs or how is it, you know, communicated out? Um, it, I don't know at the moment. I probably, when I was playing with Raj and with Johnny, I would have offered certain plays saying, no, I'd know it at the same time. So off a line out on the 22, we've got two plays. So I'll go, one of these two, what do you reckon this one? And he'll go, yeah, I like that. Or no, nah, let's go with this one. Um, and then similarly with scrums, you know, midfield scrum, you'll have two options. So it's it's pretty simple. So it's about offering some information into him and and let him pick and then he'll pass it into scrum half and maybe captain. This works on the defensive side as well? If Less so. Okay. Less so it's defensively. Fairly... Defensively, you should know your system and it shouldn't need as much yeah. communication. Whereas you need you need to pass those calls out because everyone will have different running lines on depending on what the play is on okay. an attack in defence it's pretty standard uh, Also team news from Leinster and Connacht today Ian Madigan and fit again Fergus McFadden will be the centre pairing uh, for Leinster for tomorrow's clash with the Ospreys Dave Carney is also fit and has been restored to the wing Brian Byrne starts at hooker because Rickard Strauss has been ruled out through injury Connacht without Robbie Henshaw for tomorrow night's matchup against the Scarlets he's been diagnosed with a hip flexor injury that he picked up uh, during Ireland's win over Australia but Rodney Ayew and Kieran Marmion have been restored to the side after international duty Jack Carty starts at out half as part of a backline that includes Mills, Muliaina, Danny Poolman, Bundy, uh, Bundy Aki, and Dave McSharry. So it's pretty impressive uh, for Connacht there. It was the first text of the night. So uh, Roy Keane and his departure from Aston Villa. Villa denying tonight that it was a training ground row between Keane and an unnamed senior player, which was at the root of his uh, departure from the club. After less than five months in the job, he and Villa, par- uh, Villa parted ways this morning after he told manager Paul Lambert he could no longer combine his two jobs saying it isn't fair to either Villa or to Ireland Lambert says he will look to appoint a successor as quickly as possible and says he totally respects Keane's decision Ireland manager Martin O'Neill has revealed that his assistant coach had spoken to him during last week's international camp and had indicated that the task of combining his twin roles was becoming too much and that he and his family needed to take some time off Ireland of course not back in action until the Euro 2016 qualifier in late March O'Neill says that he never had any issues with Keane's level of contribution. I'm not uh, party to his everyday involvement at Aston Villa, but I, I can only imagine that Roy would be uh, nothing else than 100% committed to it. But again, uh, his role here with the Republic of Ireland has, has been excellent and uh, he's fulfilled the, um, all the, the points that I, I thought that he would do. And um, he, has, he has decided to, to make the choice and naturally, I'm delighted that the Republic of Ireland have uh, have um, been his first choice. Yeah, so he didn't walk out in his country, was the <laughs> subtext there. Yeah. For Villa, like, he works two hours a day. You know, ten to, was it 10 to 12, 11 to 1, whatever. They don't often even come back in the evenings. It's not too much on his plate. 
Is that on the pitch? No. Yeah. Like, surely uh, but yeah, but I'm, I'm sure he's doing a you're lot joking, of analysis. Right? Video oh, footage and helping Lambert to figure out how they oh, well, the don't just, beat the, the team coach that coaches. He's not a system manager. He's the coach. He's one he of the just coaches. rocks up and says, all right, put a few cones out there, lads. Do a few, few shut runs. He's renowned for doing an awful lot of work on his TV coverage, on his, on his analysis. Yeah? Mm-hmm. I would have thought the complete opposite. Yeah, no, he doesn't <laughs> just rock up and, you know, on, on Saturday night... Lights. He's a man um, of few words. He's not doing that anymore. But like, literally, the coach doesn't have to do all that uh, analysis and stuff. I would have to do. Yeah, that's Lambert's job, though. What's the point in having him for two hours a day? He's a coach. It'd be stupid to hire Roy Keane and have him working for two hours a day. I don't think Roy is known for his tactical as a tactical genius. you sound like somebody saying you rock up at ten to seven. Well, look, I've this is my experience of managers. <laughs> they rock up and they make it up as they go along. Five three one zero six is our text number. If you wanna, if you want to get involved, you can tweet us here at Off the Ball as well. One more story. Yeah, well, uh, Rory McIlroy is a shot off the lead at the Australian Open that resuming overnight. But also the English RFU. Did you have a late night pet? Did you? I did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the English RFU has banned two supporters from Twickenham for the next two years for the homophobic abuse. They've also been ordered to pay fines of a thousand pounds each, uh, which will be paid to the charity of choice of referee Nigel Owens. The punishment comes after a number of complaints were made about the behaviour of some England fans during their recent November international against New Zealand. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk to Brian in detail about the. November internationals after the break we're also going to chat to Jeremy Guscott about um, not a great November series so far for England don't forget you can always contact us on social media facebook.com forward slash off the ball and on twitter at off the ball we want your opinions you know my opinion is only one opinion in, in, in the world of GA then I, I thought I was entitled to give my opinion everyone else was giving their opinions as usual people get upset by you people have an opinion and are entitled to it where's the evidence that you would have found it's just my opinion but like I said there's no but evidence is there any evidence for it people have different opinions different stuff. that's no problem that's the way life is everyone's the same and boring you know yeah well you know that's just like uh, your opinion man off the ball with thanks to Ford A vital part of the team, the new Ford Transit Courier always puts in an unbeatable performance. Ford, go further. I think a lot of lads were starting to uh, just get a bit bit sick of him. He's been around there for so long, so it was nice to to see the back of him for a while. Ah, you miss him. Come on, (laughs) you miss him. Nah, we miss him. I don't like talking about it, to be honest, because, you know, he's he's such a good friend. But he's not dead. It was tough. The, the last the last couple of months have been tough without him. Rob Carney and uh, some teammates there talking about whether or not they miss Brian O'Driscoll in the question and answer session for Drew's Glenn. And uh, that was Ferguson McFadden at the end giving him a tissue because he's not dead. <laughs> Disingenuous much? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I actually bizarrely met the boys, three of the four Drew's Glenn, the Dr- Drew's four, um, just before I walked in here and uh, had a quick word and we shared some beautiful moments and went our separate ways hook it out. Yeah, yeah yeah uh you're not dead though we can confirm no. that the, this Good. isn't a hologram tonight there's no um no two-pack stuff going on here uh we are giving away two tickets to see leinster take on the ospreys tomorrow evening saturday the 29th of november in the rds this comes with thanks to the conrad dublin official hotel to leinster rugby who've also thrown in a dinner for two in their highly acclaimed alex restaurant to be with the chance to win the tickets answer the following who did leinster beat in last year's pro 12 final Text the word Leinster and your answer and send that message to 53106 and we'll announce the winner at the end of this hour. Let's talk about the um, 
the Australia game and the the whole kind of series. Um, what was the what what will be the things that Joe points out to try and keep their feet on the ground that you were talking about a little bit earlier on? Um, I think um, there would have been a couple of system errors where obviously the tries um, that they would have they would have leaked. You know, there's always a reason behind it, whether it be good play or bad defence. Probably a combination of the two at times. Um, you saw the the was it Nick Phipps' first try where Simon Zebo tried the the one-handed pass in behind, which was actually a real kind of it was a footballer's play, yeah, and it was a, it was great vision, but really good defence at the same time. So it's kind of hard to know will Joe compliment him or will he slap him on the wrist? Probably slap him on the wrist because yes, try those things. He's always all about playing, but it, you know only try those things if they come off. Yeah, yeah. so we're not um, trying offloads, though, are we? It's almost like. Seems it seems like we're being told not to. There was none against South Africa. I think there's definitely a big focus. On, I, I think South Africa was a different game. I think you know probably the condition. I think it was probably a lot greasier than 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 people realised. And there wasn't it wasn't a day for you know playing fast running rugby. Um, so they played the conditions a lot more, and they played the team uh, the physicality of the of the Springboks a lot more. But I think at the weekend, um, the Australians ordinarily would have a greater skill set than Irish players in general. I think yeah. that's a, a generalisation that most people would be happy enough to accept. And they're the ones that score the elaborate tries. We kind of tend to really work for our scores yeah. and there's a bit more grunt involved. Having said that, there was you know some lovely touches with um, with Sexto's vision for, uh, for Zero's try. Um, Tommy Bowes, um, you know, fourteen pointer that, that, as they mentioned on the telly, that was that was a huge moment in the game. Yeah, and to give us that seventeen point buffer, um, and but the thing on 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 like even with Tommy, I um, I was talking to to one of the one of the boys. There's identification of, you know, whether scrum halves like short passes or long passes, and Tommy would have that's not just happening by accident he probably identified that oh, maybe Nick Phipps is into you know likes the long rangers he likes the Hail Marys a bit much and yeah. and Tommy you know he went for broke and it and it paid off so th- th- those things happen and they're a, a little bit lucky at times but it's luck based on on homework done during the week yeah one of the the things that everybody's going to always remember from this game is the Paul O'Connell crunching tackle in the last couple of minutes in that drive, which just sends a complete signal to the entire crowd that this is going to be different this time. We've got this. Um, that wasn't also an accident. No, it wasn't. It, it was kind of it was it was strange because on Saturday I didn't see the game, but I caught the last twenty minutes live, and then only during the week did I get to see the first sixty. So I saw Paulie's hit in in that last phase of play and the real shame in that because it was such a huge hit the real shame was whoever it was McCallman or someone got the offload it's like oh, now that hit didn't deserve a guy to get a ball, a ball out the back door but then for the first 60 minutes of the game having seen that and seen in, in that passage of play as well he made another huge impact but I started watching Paulie and early on in the game he started lining himself up about 5th or 6th defender out from the rook so he'd identified probably during doing his homework as well during the week, that they don't play that much off nine. They play a huge amount off ten. Two ball carriers running off ten and then a back out the back of, of those two ball carriers as well. So they can go behind them, they can go through the middle of them or they can hit them up. So Paulie was lining himself up outside the second uh, forward ball carrier and he made five or six impacts 
on on and, and collision wins uh, on that player, and it just evolved. And I saw it early, and then it, it triggered that that last phase of play, and then I just watched him for the rest of the game, and he kept on doing it. And that's just someone of of a high intellect, rugby intellect as well seeing what the patterns are. How does he shape it so that he's in that position? Is that preordained or is that kind of... In some cases, maybe it was. I don't know. You'd probably have to talk to him, but I, I found it a bit and coincidental the, yeah. that he would found himself there that many times. Can you do it in game flow? Like how did, so is you it can just, push, yeah, you can, you you can push right players there. inside. Yeah. I, you know, ordinarily, you would want your tight five in close to the rook because, you know, Less tends to happen there. You get the faster players out wide, got guys that are able to turn and make decisions. So it's front five close to the rook, um, back row outside them, and then fast backs out, out on the wings. Uh, so that's why ideally you want one centre on either side, two wingers in the backfield with the full back, and that's the perfect setup. But because Paulie is the athlete that he is, you know he has the ability. He could play. He could play it in the wing. He could play on the flank because he's he can because he reads it early and he reads the, you know, the cock of the hands of of the ten as to whether he's going to whip a pass out the back of the two forwards to the twelve or whether he's going to throw the ball a little bit softer, knowing it's going to go to a front front rower. So he's reading. Um, He's reading the delivery of that pass, and as a result, he's making his uh, his reaction to that. So it looks like he's set off early, but actually, he's kind of he's seen it from maybe two bits before it happens. Yeah, he's, and that's that's the really good players. They're 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 reading things that others aren't, and he's reading Foley. He's he, he's um, seeing patterns throughout the game when he does throw the wide one that he throws it a bit earlier, or when you know he maybe he throws a spiral for the wide ones, or he throws a leaky pass for the short ones. Those sort of are the small nuances that um, that good players are able to identify, and then their reaction time gets quicker, and and they make you know make the impact hit. Yeah, they're the tells. Um, one of the other things that came out, uh, Robbie Henshaw in his post-match press conference said that you'd been in touch with him, um, offering a little bit of advice over the last while. Was that always your intention? Was that something that you were kind of always going to do? I just I struck a really good rapport with Robbie over the course of the last couple of years when he'd been in um, in camp and um, for probably 18 months of that I don't think he, he got capped but yet he was just so enthusiastic so in, so eager to learn that um, you know it was hard, you know I, I wanted to help him out and there, when I was playing there's there's a selfishness to helping someone out who's who's vying for your position <laughs> is because they're you, they get better you have to up your game too yeah um so hang um, on hang on sorry just to clarify you you're saying it's a good thing you're like i would never do it yeah i thought that's the point <laughs> you're making no you don't i don't want to give no no I, I say try and make them better okay. because then you're you okay have you're to, brian you to, just i would never do i would never do you that you kick your standards <laughs> on to another level then yeah okay that's one <laughs> way of looking at it <laughs> anyway uh so so I just stayed in touch um, after um, after the Six Nations, and we had a chat. We had a chat out um, the night after the the Grand Slam game, and over multiple jars. And um, he just said, "Yeah, let's stay in contact," and we did. And um, I just I text him every so often if I've seen a game or something to improve on or something that he's done really well. So yeah, it's, we've 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 a good relationship, and he's, I think because he's he's young and he's he's talented, and what I like about him is he's big guy. He's ninety five or six kilos, but he uses every single one of them, and he's aggressive. And I said to him, I texted him last night, and uh, I I really liked where early on he shoved Ash, Adam Ashley Cooper, who's one hundred and three tests, and 
you know, chasing a kick and Ashley Cooper, you know, had some chat for him, got in his ear and he just brushed him off. He was having none of it. He gave him some back and this is a 21-year-old against, you know, a bit of an Aussie legend. I was like, yes, that's that's the boy. Was there much difference in his performance between 12 and 13 and, and it looks like he can do both? Yeah, he can do both. He's He's got the skill set to do to do both for sure um, because he's a big guy he can carry and give you a gain line but he also has the subtlety in his game to be able to to spread it wide too so if if going forward if they go with Gordon and him or if they go with Jared and him or Stuart Olding and him or yeah. you know, there's lots of different combinations I think that the whole 12-13 thing and being stuck in that one position the way is we have a thing of the past yeah. yeah it's gone so guys have to have the ability to to modify their their game to playing in, in the in the in the first and second centre positions depending on what the play is yeah and so it's really good for him to get experience at both now it's brilliant yeah and um, I think he'd played for Connacht um, a few weeks prior to playing for Ireland uh, at 12 and it kind of went a little bit under the radar so he got a little bit um, a little bit of practice and good footballers are able to adapt yeah. that's the thing you know and he's he was he's definitely that he's a very very talented footballer and um, I think he's only he's going to get better and better like even his feet were brilliant at yeah, the weekend he's a good for kicker a big isn't guy. he he's good, very, well. well, he's, he's, he's good Gaelic football he played with um, with Westmead didn't he yeah. he played minors two, a couple of years I think yeah. um, so he's got very good standard um, um, footballing skills, but his feet for a big for a big guy, he's very very good feet. We haven't seen enough of that. We, we saw a little bit of it against Australia. He made one run where it was kind of you know very light on his feet, but we probably haven't seen enough of that side of his game yet. No, it's, he's he's only gotten two yeah. games over, yeah, over November, and one of them it wasn't conducive. But how to good a lot is of, that side of his game? It is good. Is it? It is good. Um, for a guy like I said, the guy that's six foot two and. 96 kilos he's, he's uh, very very good footwork so nice to know that you can the, the, the beauty of having that is that he can run super hard at someone and someone sits down to brace for the tackle and then he steps off oh, one yeah. or other foot and burns them and burns them that's, you know, that, that's nice to be able to add the two together uh, speaking of being burned, there was a piece today that you were uh, talking to us about off air. Ronan O'Gar was suggesting that uh, Keith Earls might be the solution to some of these problems yes he's back actually uh, in the new year and Ronan O'Gara was uh, wrote a piece in the Examiner, and he was championing Keith Earls. And it was one bit that I liked. Um, he's the one person who has schooled Brian O'Driscoll in training throughout his career. Now, not once, not twice, but throughout his career. <laughs> school, taken to school. So explain this. I can't disagree. I think you know throughout careers <laughs> might be. You had a long uh, career of being schooled. A little on the higher side, but there was definitely a few times that. Earlsy made me feel vulnerable in a defensive line, um, such as his change-up. He he is a has a wicked step, and it's a different type of step to Robbie's. Earlsy has kind of a gazelle-like step. It's um, it, it's a bound that kind of takes him for two meters when he goes, and that acceleration over the first three or four is quite something. One thing I'd say about Earlsy um, is. He's got this great speed endurance. If you if you watch him when he does get back, and I hope he does get back soon because he, he is a very very talented player. He picks up a lot of easy tries, <laughs> a lot of easy tries. Genuinely picks up easy tries because you know he's the key he's the key support, 
and he runs them in from 50 or 60 metres okay. because of this, that speed endurance because that first five or six metres and when games start going longer into 67 minutes Earlsy can pick up a try or two because he has that, that fitness uh, in him Again, that's not something that you can just coach, is it? That like, well, obviously you can improve it if it's there, and you can you can bring it out in players. But there, that's part of his skill set. It is, and you know, I don't want to draw comparisons. Um, some, I suppose, someone that that scores those sort of tries as well is someone like Chris Ashton, who um, runs a lot of lines in games and doesn't get it a lot of the time but then he does seem to pick up why is he able to do that swallow dive yeah. so often why, why is he broken free from players because of that speed endurance so he's quick and then he's able to do the repeat you know, he's repeat always on efforts. a support run it's, yeah he's always on it uh, and any time other people and an interest, another interesting one is any time other people score tries who's usually the first person to celebrate, celebrate with them yeah. you know or else he's often there so he just—that's a an Earlsy and Jamie Heaslip. They're two guys. Earlsy, Jamie Heaslip, Paul O'Connell. More often than not, the first three guys to support or to to celebrate with a try score. That's always a good sign. Five three one zero six is our text number. If you want to get in touch, you can also tweet us at Off the Ball. We want to talk a little bit about England now. I'm delighted to say we have uh, England legend Jeremy Guscott on the line. Jeremy, good evening to you. Good evening, all. We uh, we're very interested at the moment in how well or otherwise this English team are doing because coming out of the Six Nations, we would have said that actually they're um, they're going completely in the right direction. There's a very defined identity, and they've got strength and depth. Um, but November seems to have debunked some of that for us. What do you think is the truth about where England are at the moment? I suppose uh, the overall scores against the big two possibly were a bit flattering because there were periods in both games where they were left wanting a little bit. I think England, over the years, have always had a strong forward pack, set-piece very good, back row very competitive as the second row in line-out. Never too many problems in the scrum, um, but I think it's been a continuity in the back line. Um, When you go from Six Nations where Danny Kerr was sensational, uh, Mike Brown was making clean breaks all over the place against every side. Two, 12 trees and Burrell. Burrell was scoring tries and, and he was playing okay. Uh, when that back line was kind of dismantled through injuries, through loss of form, it's been very difficult to pick up and I think that's what uh, that's why the England performances have been a bit wobbly. Is there anything, because the the proximity to the World Cup, is there anything in the pressure that the squad and the management are beginning to feel at the moment? Um, or is that m- more us projecting from the outside? I think possibly we're trying to find something that hasn't quite materialised yet. I think for me, uh, I would like to see Burrell at 12 and Manny Tuolangi at 13. I think that's a, a pretty formidable midfield double act that I think uh, the likes of George Ford who's a great footballer at 12 can work off and if you're a back three with guys like that getting over the game line producing quick ball then I think that could be the way forward to keep it simple and um, do the basics well With Farrell at, um, at 10 as well there's a sense that there's a very specific game that they're going to play and maybe other teams are beginning to work that out a little bit well, I mean, Owen, uh, Brian, I know a lot more about Owen than me because uh, having talked with him, I think, look, the guy's competitive, he's got a strong mind, but we're all given ability. We we all have uh, a certain skill set, and Owen's is strong mentally. He's great when he kicks penalties and conversions under pressure. Uh, his running isn't quite as good as George Ford's, and his eye for, eye for a gap isn't quite as good, uh, or his, 
his eyes probably pretty good, but his legs can't take it take him through it a lot of the time. But um, hey, there's nothing wrong with competition at, at ten. George is having his time. If he plays well, nails his kicks under pressure, then he, he could have the shirt for a few more games. If you were playing. Uh, Jerry, I'd, I would imagine you'd prefer to play with George Ford than than uh, Farrell. Hundred <laughs> percent. I, I had the equivalent of um, of Owen Farrell with Rob Andrew, but we managed we managed to get by. Um, that get, it's to a, a game plan that's set, and I think when when you as a centre, if you play off someone like Owen, you just want him to get past the ball as quickly as possible because everyone's coming in your direction. When you got a fly half. Uh, like Johnny Sexton and George Ford, these guys take the ball to the line, and so they are the attraction to the defenders. And you have the sense have a bit more space and time to spot a gap, and then those kind of fly halves can see the gap and intuitively put the ball there, knowing that you're going to be there. So yeah, I hope George Ford can perform because I think he's the type of player, the type of ten that can release an English backline. I, I totally agree with you. I think um, you know, having trained with Owen on last year's Lions tour. Uh, I was impressed with him, but what I've seen from George Ford this year seems to be another level. There is a Johnny Sexton uh, type game to to him. Um, I suppose there's always concerns with with a guy as small as he is, you know, defensively how solid he's going to be. But I think looking at the England team with a, with George Ford in and looking the one with with Farrell, I would I would definitely at the moment prefer to face. Uh, Farrell knowing the predictability of his game. George Ford can take the ball to the line and he can throw the pass uh, a la Johnny and we're, we're very lucky to have a player of that yeah. calibre. And I think if, if England were smart and they really um, you know, went after the World Cup next year, they would, they would, they would put their money on George and build the, the, the centre partnership around him. And Burrell has been unfortunate in, in, in picking up injuries at the wrong time. He was good um, He was good in parts during the Six Nations earlier this year. Um, and any team that doesn't have Manu Tulangi in it is going to be less off for it. I still do like I like that 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 bad three quarter line. I like Ford. I like Eastman the, the way he plays, and I think Joseph, you know, is probably a guy that feel, must feel a bit hard done by and not getting an opportunity in this November series. I think um, it's hard uh, to get past uh, how people believe you are and can you grow more, can you develop more, and when you you've been part of a squad. And I think uh, Jonathan Joseph was part of the England squad and he was told to go away and work on a few things. Unfortunately, he got some injuries. But he's come back absolutely flying, scoring tries, making breaks. His defence has got stronger. So I think a little bit like Billy Trees a couple of seasons ago, Trees have said your defence is, uh, is not up to international level. He, he worked on it and got there. And I think Joseph possibly might have to wait for a few more injuries to get his chance with it being so close to the, uh, to the Six Nations and the World Cup. I think... Ideally, I think if I'm a back three, and I, I think England has some real serious gas out, out there on the wing in Anthony Watson, Jonathan May, uh, Johnny May, man, I, I'm not seeing a guy. The way he skinned Conrad Smith, okay, he's getting on in, in age a little bit, um, but Israel Dag, to go around those two, you, you need to feed, or England need to feed the speed, but of course you need quick ball and a bit of space to do that. And I believe England could get that with Burrell at 12, who played brilliantly for Northampton at inside centre last season and this season. And Manu, we know, can, can make yards from a standing uh, start. So get those two guys in the middle, get George Ford pulling the strings because his skill set allows him to do absolutely everything you want to fly half to do in a game, kick, pass, make the breaks. He stands in the way. 
sometimes he might be a speed bump, but more often than not, he'll have some help. So he put the guys down and then feed the speed and England should be on a on a good mark. Mm. That uh, sounds ominous from our perspective. It is. It's a good shout. Like I, I think that is, it's the braver call, but it's, if, if I was Stuart Lancaster, that's the, the route I'd be going to. And a World Cup's not going to be won by, by safe. I know defence is largely, they, everyone talks about defence is winning World Cups, but you still have to score points. You yeah. still have to score tries. And against the best teams, you look at the All Blacks um, against Wales, you know, when they had to in the last 15 minutes again scoring two or three tries and just blowing Wales out of the water. Yeah. That's what they're capable of, so other teams need to be able to match that. Jeremy, great to have you with us tonight. Thanks a million. Yeah, my pleasure. Have a good one. Jeremy Guscott there, who's uh, in Cardiff for Wales against South Africa. Um, from, uh, from watching Lancaster, my money would be on him picking Farrell. Yeah, I would think that his personality would dictate a little bit safer but because George got his go against Samoa last week yeah. and now it's it's kind of like a second test yeah as 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 such um and I think England will win this weekend against Australia I think um there's a lot of pressure on them to perform and and to de- and to deliver and I think that'll be enough to get them across the line plus a little bit of rugby smarts from George to pull the, pulling the strings I think it'll be enough all right, 53106 is our text number. We've one more uh, quick ad break to take and then we're going to put some text to Brian after these. Off the ball, with thanks to Ford. This season, we're not playing by the rules. We're exceeding expectations. Now as standard. Ford, go further. All right, we've uh, a couple of minutes left. Uh, tweets, obviously, um, keep me feet on the ground. If a guy is continuously pointing out errors, it seems a fine line. How does he get the mixture right between ripping confidence and keeping feet on the ground? Sorry, that was the... I've, I completely screwed that up. It's about bring, like lads know they're in a good place, so it's he's not there to pull them apart because they, they are their confidence is high. Yeah, it's naturally going to be high after three wins, but by showing them where, how they can improve rather than berating them for n- not doing things right, it's kind of incentivizing them to get better, and as a result work harder at their game I guess it's also easier that the results are going your way and so everybody has a massive belief in what you're doing it's so much easier to criticise when you've won um, can you ask Brian how good he thought Trevor Brennan was just finished Brennan's book and can't figure out why a player who played in three European Cup finals in a row winning two couldn't get a run for Ireland asks Tom in Belfast yeah <laughs> Trev was physical <laughs> <laughs> Trev um, I think Trev evolved massively as a player with uh, Toulouse and yeah. the you know probably his his fall down was uh, his handling and his, his ability to play before he went over there and I think that the style of game over there um, brought the best out in Trev and he became this distributor and passer and I think that's when you saw his best years and maybe because he had gone to France at that stage the national team had, had decided they were going to pick from, from closer by Richard um, wants me to ask Brian why rugby stars have such lame nicknames for each other as I'd be too scared to ask any of them face to face in case they'd beat me to a pulp he says are they yeah terrible I don't know. Can't be any worse than soccer nicknames. Just put a Y at the end of their surname. Um, DC says, can we expand on the Brian O'Driscoll lap of honour greeting scale? Name names, he says. <laughs> the people you'd turn away from. <laughs> <laughs> the show's going to finish at eight, right? <laughs> uh, Brian, great hurling and Gizzy's video. You wasted your time with that out rugby. Uh, you played That's other sports. Point, actually. Did you? Play other sports? Well, you played golf, obviously. Yeah, I played, I played a lot of Gaelic football when I was young. A um, bit of soccer. Not so much uh, hurling. Because uh, I had bad eyesight, wasn't ideal seeing, uh, the, ball seeing late. the puck 
so um, slid that. Um, so um, yeah, that 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 video is actually that was done about three years ago. Yeah, that's only it must be coming as doing a second second. No, it's just, just finished just, just just finished this it. week. Yeah, it just finished it. Okay. Yeah. Um, because we were talking about uh, on last night's show about in Cork they introduced a rule to stop Dave Barry playing Gaelic football or to stop playing soccer and exclusively Gaelic football there's been a move recently to get players to play more sports as kids and not to specialise too early I'd, I'd be all over that yeah I don't, like it's if you could get your hand your hand-eye coordination in on, on any sport and I think having fun and being into why shouldn't kids be able to play three or four different sports? Like everyone, the kids, energy of a six or seven year old, you can play Saturday morning and afternoon and Sunday morning and afternoon, be yeah. it golf, tennis, um, gay football, and then a, a rugby match. Uh, you're, because your parents want you to, because that means you'll be in bed at seven o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on that note, Brian, thanks very much. Enjoy whatever sleep is coming your way. Uh, that's uh, that's us done this hour. We've loads more to come, including the uh, crappy quiz where Colm is seeking revenge on Ireland and uh, some best stuff coming up too. That's all in the next hour. Stay tuned. Off the ball with thanks to Ford. A vital part of the team, the new Ford Transit Courier always puts in an unbeatable performance. Ford, go further.